What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso. This week, we're going to be joined by a special guest instead of one of our normal co-hosts, Dalvin or Scott. They'll be back next week. This week, we're going to talk with Connor Hughes, who is the New York Jets beat writer for the Star Ledger and NJ.com. We're going to talk with him about the 2017 season, uh, what he expects for the upcoming offseason, different things that he observed uh, from being around the team and being in the locker room and around the team on a day-to-day basis about, you know, where they were last year and the direction that they're headed. So definitely stick with us. We're going to have the entire podcast today uh, be mine and Connor's discussion. Before we dive into that, let's get some of our admin work out of the way. want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets for deals on upcoming sporting events, including March Madness and the Big East Tournament. Follow them on Twitter at Prime Sport. Follow them on Facebook at Prime Sport as well. We'll continue to have different deals from them throughout the offseason now that football is over before we get back into our different Jets ticket packages. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Make sure to check them out before making any decisions on your divisional weekend betting. Give them a follow on Twitter at Razor Sport Club. They are the best in the business when it comes to being betting consultants and giving you must-read, must-listen-to advice before you make any decisions on NFL, college sports, NBA, anything, you name it, they cover it. Again, that's www.razersport.com. All right, Connor, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. So, first off, how long have you been on the Jets beat, and what were you doing prior to that? Oh, man. Uh, I think that I've been uh, at least in a part-time capacity since uh, 2014, right? Yeah, that was, that was, I think it was Rex's last year. I came on for that kind of whole dysfunctional mess between him and Idzik and, and all that fun stuff, and then I've been here ever since. And then I started covering the team uh, full-time in 2016. Before that, I covered uh, high school sports throughout like Morris County and Burlington County, and I did some uh, giant stuff, too, before jumping on the Jets beat uh, in that 2015 season, or 2014 season, I'm sorry. And paint the picture for what it's like being a beat writer for this team. About in season, how many days per week are you at the facility? How many hours are you spending around the team, around practice, around the locker room? What does that in-season schedule look like? I know you know, we're in a bit of a downtime right now, and it will pick back up going into free agency in the draft, but I imagine during the season is when uh, everything is the most heavy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think probably the craziest part part of it all is during training camp. I mean, those those uh, those three weeks or so are, are quite busy because I mean it's practice, 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 then a game with like two days off. That, you know, it's kind of sprinkled in between there. So that's probably the craziest part. But during the regular season, it's uh, it, I don't think it's actually as much as people would expect. Uh, the way that the Jets do things are, you know, if they have a game on Sunday, uh, home you know, home or road game, what they'll do on Mondays, they do conference calls. Uh, Tuesday is everybody's day off, and there's practice on Wednesday and Thursday, which is, uh, you know, we, we'll get there right around when practice starts. We'll see about 30 minutes of, of the practice. Then when practice is over, we go back to the media room for about an hour, two hours until Todd Bowles comes in and talks to us for 10 or 15 minutes after practice is over. Then we're in the locker room for an hour, and then we're back in the media room writing whatever kind of came out of that day before we all get to go home. So we do that Wednesday, Thursday. Friday is something very similar. It's just maybe a little bit shorter than usual. You know, the practice isn't necessarily as long. 
Uh, Todd's press conferences definitely go shorter in the locker room access. So, you know, there's not too many players in there because a lot of those guys try to try to get out as soon as they can on Friday. So that's a little bit shorter. But, you know, that's kind of what the, uh, the, the schedule is like for a, for a week in the life of a beat writer. So you're very interactive on Twitter. You see what Jet fans are saying on a day-to-day basis. Two questions. What would you say the biggest current misconception Jet fans have about the overall organization or the current regime in place? And what would you say they are most on the nose about uh, with their conception of, you know, the current regime and organization? That's a good question, man. I think that the one thing that, that'll, that some people um, don't necessarily, I think, understand is that, you know, when, when all that stuff happened with Sheldon and when all that stuff happened with Mo, uh, a lot of people thought kind of like Todd just, just let it slide, you know, not necessarily that, that he should have been harsher. Cause, I mean, that's, that's a very real criticism is that he should have been harder on them. But this wasn't like every single infraction that those two guys had and then Mo continuing this year went unpunished. I mean, those guys did get in trouble every time they were late. I mean, I think Todd finds them right around 14. I think it's, I think it's 14 or maybe 12 or $14,000, I think, per lateness to a meeting. So anytime you show up late, you get fined. It's just when those infractions add up that you eventually get a quarter benching. So I think when a lot of that news broke originally, a lot of people thought, oh, this is the first time that, that he's punishing any of them. Uh, no, that, that he punishes anybody who's ever late. Uh, it's just a matter of when those add up is when he puts the benching in. Now, again, you can make the argument that, that the benching should have been done a lot sooner, which, which I absolutely agree with. But uh, those guys definitely get in trouble for every infraction. And I think the thing that, that guys are, or at least fans, are, have kind of hit the nose on the head for is that this was this year very much more a team than it was in 2015. I mean, between the guys getting along in the locker room and playing this, this game where they put uh, two recycling containers on either side and like shoot a half filled Gatorade bottle in it. And I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's the intensity of like a college party beer pong tournament. I mean, these guys go all out with it. I mean, th- th- you can tell that this year, as opposed to last year, the chemistry is so much better. These guys actually like each other. You can tell they're friends. They really do enjoy each other's company, which wasn't necessarily the case uh, two years ago. Uh, what was that? Yeah. 2016, as opposed to 2017. Did you notice any type of, you know, you see, you see him pretty frequently. Did you notice a, a transition in the way Muhammad Wilkerson carried himself from the guy he was in 2014, 2015 to what we've seen over the past years? I mean, I think, you know, during the 2015 season, Wilkerson was probably one of the most popular players in the team. Most fans would have said, you know, pay that guy whatever he wants. He's a hometown guy. He's one of the faces of the franchise. And now, based on the past two years... Uh, obviously not very popular. I mean, you get paid, you put out two years of effort that he put forth, you have the different team suspensions. Did you notice any type of you know transition after that contract? No, it's tough, man, because to be honest with you, he was always kind of a, a, a frickle guy when it comes to the media. And he just didn't necessarily, he was never a media-friendly guy. I mean, he was never somebody that was going to open up in a one-on-one interview or, or you know, give you 30 minutes of his time to really sit there and talk with you. He was never somebody that really sat around long enough in the locker room to BS with reporters. And you know, I mean, there's a ton of guys there that you can go up to recorder off and just talk to them about life or just have conversations with them. You know, Morris Claiborne is one of those guys. I mean, Josh McCown would actually probably the first time I've ever seen a player do this. He goes up to the media to, you know, to, to start conversations with you. You know I mean? He, he came up to a group of us once and he started talking about some Thursday night football game. So, I mean, you have players in there that, that, are normal people. They just create conversation with you. Mo was never like that. He was always kind of to himself. And, and when you, he did do media-related interviews, he was always short. He was never he was never a great quote. Absent actually, when he got suspended the first time for those team meetings, and he just went on to trash the teams, you know, 
training staff and, and throw teammates under the bus, you know, all that. He suddenly became a really good quote for about a month before stopping that as well. So, you know, honestly, before Mo got paid and after Mo got paid, his interaction with the media was always the same. He was never really all that friendly. He was never really all that, you know, open to anybody at any point in time because, I don't know, that's just probably his personality. And it was kind of weird because when you have players that are usually that closed off to the media, there's usually a reason why, you know, whether, whether there were articles written about them that they didn't understand, uh, you know, criticisms of them that nobody really got. That the reason why that doesn't necessarily apply to Mo is because he was a guy that everybody wrote how great he was and how the Jets should pay him and how he's got to come back to New York. I mean, he kind of had everybody pulling for him, and then he still was never really that open or never really all that friendly. So from a, from a media perspective, and as much as I've interacted with him, there was no difference from 2015 Mo to 2017 Mo. He was always this guy. The big drop came in his production, and that he got paid, and then suddenly everything dropped off. Well, I think it's only a matter of uh, weeks at this point until he's no longer in that locker room yeah. on a day-to-day basis. We all we hear a lot about uh, McCown, Demario Davis. I think you know we see it from Jamal Adams and a couple of the other younger players. Who, um, who are the main? Who no, who did you notice as sort of being the main leaders on this team on both sides of the football? You know, day-to-day in practice in the locker room. Is there anyone outside of the people that we'd expect to hear who? sort of, you know, jumped out to you as being a leader on a team that is ideally trying to flip the culture around and have leadership come from the younger parts of the roster? Yeah, I mean, I think the two that you didn't necessarily mention, because the ones that you mentioned are the big guys. I mean, those are absolutely them. And in fact, the one guy that, that really stands out is, is Demario Davis. I mean, he was a guy that I remember in training camp one day, the Jets had a light practice, you know, a lighter day, you know, sometimes They'll do that, you know, to kind of give players a break from, from kind of the, the grueling nature of the camp is. He kept the entire defense on the indoor practice field without coaches around and ran additional drills. Like, no coaches, just the defensive players, and DeMario Davis ran the practice. He lined everybody up. He went through a walkthrough. He helped teach other players' plays. I mean, that's the kind of level of career that DeMario Davis kind of transitioned into this year. So, I mean, he's absolutely on that list. But the two players I don't think you mentioned is one was Steve McClendon. He really – really stepped up into that leadership role. In fact, you had Leonard Williams towards the end of the season call him out for it. And, and when he was asked about these leaders on defense, he said, he didn't say Mo Wilkerson, but he did say Steve McClendon. You could tell that. I mean, he rallied everyone together. He's the guy who told uh, the, the entire team to make sure that they're watching the playoffs this season so that they can get angry and annoyed and come back next year ready to make it. So you know, he's the guy that definitely stepped up into that role. And the other guy was Jermaine Kurtz, you know, the, the veteran wideout that they just traded for, you know, when they gave up Sheldon Richardson and got back him in a, in a second-round pick. He really stepped up as well, and he probably deserves a, a really decent amount of credit for the development of Robbie Anderson because the Robbie Anderson that we saw before Kurtz arrived compared to the Robbie Anderson we saw after two or three weeks of working in the same meeting room as Kurtz are two completely different guys. And I think those two, in addition to those that you named, Jamal Adams, uh, Davis, as we said, and then Josh McCown, I think those were kind of your core leaders on this team. And Rontez Miles as well on the special team side of things. I mean, he's a guy that stepped up as well. From a on-the-field standpoint, is there any particular players who did not contribute much on the field this year, whether it was because there was different veterans in front of them or they were injured at for a chunk of the year, who you'd be looking towards or keying to having a bigger role next year and potentially potentially making that, you know, quote unquote year two leap after, you know, maybe a quiet rookie year or even if it wasn't their rookie year last year, but, you know, just was not overly productive in twenty seventeen, but could be slated for a much bigger role in twenty eighteen. 
Uh, that's a good question, man, because the, the crazy thing about this Jets roster is so many young guys played. I mean, the young guys that they had in this roster, they don't play. But I think some of the ones you could look up to is those two rookie receivers they drafted this year. I think that, that our Darius Stewart will actually get a chance to play next year, or at least should. I mean, you'll have an entire offseason to train and learn the playbook and get himself acclimated and, and kind of solidify a role for him on offense. I think his, his injuries that he had in the offseason there, I think it was, I know it was a thumb injury, and I can't remember if it was groin or shoulder, but you know those injuries that required surgery from him, the, I think they really did take a toll because he really didn't get a chance to play in OTA's minicamp or rookie camp. So that really put him back quite a bit. Uh, I think that hurt him as well in terms of then transitioning into the regular season. He was kind of like Devin Smith, his rookie year, behind the eight ball a bit. So I think he'll have a bigger role. Chad Hansen really came on late in the season. You saw him make some really nice grabs and start to get comfortable on that offense. Him as well, having an entire year now to train and not necessarily prepare for the draft or, or all those fun things. Uh, I think he could step up as well. Um, across the roster, I mean, Eli McGuire, you saw him get going without Matt Forte or once the Jets cut Matt Forte, I could see Eli having a bigger role. And the two guys that I wouldn't necessarily rule out kind of stepping up next year are the two corners the Jets drafted as well, Jeremy Clark and Derek Jones. They were both kind of developmental projects, but they really fit the bill of what Todd Balls wants in his secondary. You know, he wants big physical cornerbacks, and, you know, they needed time to develop. Obviously, Jeremy Clark had the knee injury, which he wasn't totally recovered from. He'll now be healthy and have a chance to, to have a training camp and OTA and minicamp and, and see the field on defense. So those are two guys I wouldn't uh, rule out as well. You were there for the final days of uh, Rex and Idzik. What do you think of the fan media narrative and treatment of those two guys as a head coach and a GM compared to what you've seen uh, towards Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan? Do you feel that certain certain people are being treated too harshly, not treated harshly enough, considering that the team's record is only 20 and 28 over the past three years, although I do think everyone would agree that these three years have been more productive than the two years prior to them. What do, you, what do you think overall uh, of the body of work of basically this GM and this head coach compared to what you've seen before that and how the, the sort of narrative has been built around both of these guys? Because it feels to me right now that most Jet fans would say, I could go without Todd Bowles. They probably should have fired Todd Bowles, but I'm still comfortable with McCagden going forward. So there seems to be, at least from what I see, a little more patience uh, with the GM. What have you noticed? Yeah, I think I think you actually hit the nail on the head there. I mean, the public perception around those two, I think, is skewed a bit because of who they replaced. You know, Mike McCagnan is, I think it's starting to end, but now I think he was still riding that honeymoon wave because he was anybody but John Idzik. I mean, anyone who replaced John Idzik was going to be beloved by Jet fans. And when McCagnan spent so much you know, that first offseason after John Idzik didn't do anything, that, that kind of built up the hype even more that, yeah, he's not Idzik, he's the anti-Idzik, hoorah when I think there was a decent amount of Jets fans that didn't necessarily want to see Rex Ryan go, and they just wanted to see a change at the GM and keep Rex. So, you know, you kind of had a guy that everybody hated in Idzik that was replaced by somebody McCagnus, so he got the love. And then when you saw Rex fire, that a lot of Jet fans still really liked him for pretty much the anti-Rex and Todd Bowles, who doesn't say anything, he's really quiet, not emotional on the sideline. There's that perception of love-hate, and that's probably why people uh, to this point want Todd Bowles gone or want to keep Mike McCagnus, but... You know, when you look at what I think it's Todd's tough, you know, to, to kind of grade where he is this year because I think that the roster wasn't very good. I know they got some play out of the young guys, but but it's really it was never a team that anybody expected to compete for a playoff spot. So, you know, there were issues with Todd Bowles and, and some of what he did, whether it was time management, clock management, game management that were definitely 
uh, screw-ups on his part, and he needs to get better in that. We've really been saying that for three years now, and if he doesn't improve this coming season, he's probably going to end up getting fired. So, you know, some of that criticism is worth it, but I think McCagney is the guy that, that doesn't get enough heat because when you look at his draft, in 2015, in 2016, and, and you know, obviously the jury's still out in 2017. These guys, you know, some of them didn't play at all this year, and and a couple of them that did actually played pretty well. So you got to wait till that pans out. That 2015 draft, if if things go a certain way there, there's a chance that the Jets' Week One roster in 2018 includes just one player from that 2015 draft, and that one player from the 2015 draft being Leonard Williams. So that draft really was a dud. And and how much of a, of a play, you know, what kind of a player is Leonard Williams? Is he did the Jets get an all-pro level guy with the number six pick, or did they just get another guy with the number six pick? I and mean, Leonard looked really good two years ago. Didn't look too good this year. So, so you're kind of the the jury's still out on him. And the and the draft the next year, Darren Lee, Christian Hackenberg, Jordan Jenkins in the third round. Jenkins looks like an okay player, but is he a game changer in the third round? You know, Christian Hackenberg. The Jets are afraid to put him on the field. And in the first round, Darren Lee's a guy who took, made uh, made progress and took steps forward this year, but he's still not necessarily a great linebacker. So. When you look at, at the level of play from the guys that McCagnan has drafted those first two, first three years, it's really not all that great. And I think that the heat's kind of got, got to be turned up on him a little bit because, like I said, he's still on that honeymoon because he's not John Idzik. But when you compare John Idzik's draft to Mike McCagnan's drafts, I mean, there's quite a bit of a difference. In fact, I think that, again, if Devin Smith is let go, and I think it's uh, – yeah, if Devin Smith is let go, there's a there's a good chance that of Idzik, you know, the Idzik 12 and his first draft before that, there's a good chance that there's more John Idzik players on the 2018 Jets than there are Mike McCagnin players from that 2015 draft, which again kind of puts into perspective that he not he hasn't necessarily been this this incredible general manager to this point. And if he doesn't, again, he's kind of got a little bit of extra leash because he's not uh, John Idzik. But if he doesn't turn around quick, I could I could really see the Jets making wholesale changes again either next year or the year after that. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think it's something that some Jet fans are still very sensitive of any criticism or questioning of McCagnin just because there was such a such a visceral dislike of Idzik, but you make yeah. really good points you know, across the board, particularly with that 2015 draft class, obviously, and the top of that 2016 uh, draft class. I definitely think 2016 was oh, better than brutal. 2015, but you know, th- that initial start – it's tough, and I, I do think, to his credit, McCagnin is a little better with the media than Idzik, which is a low bar to clear, and a little more savvy yep. in how he sort of sold the sort of overall strategy of what the Jets are doing. While, while since you just mentioned him, you're there every day. I've, I've obviously have not been shy about being critical about this pick, and I'm sure he's a good guy, and I'm sure he's working hard, but you see him practice more than anybody. Is Christian Hackenberg just as bad as most people expect that he is? And do you think he will ever start a game here? It's tough, right? I mean, because the last time we really saw Christian Hackenberg practice was in training camp. And in the regular season, I guess I didn't ask really this before, you know, the first and second question we were talking about was uh, about what it's like to cover the Jets. We only get to see, I forgot to mention this, we only get to see like the first 20 minutes of regular season practices. And, and the Jets have, and this is intentional, scheduled it so that the only 20 minutes of practice that we see are the 15-minute team stretch and then about five minutes of individual drills. And the individual drills have the quarterbacks and receivers working separately and the special teams going through, like, kickoff, punt, you know, whatever drills, field goal drills, all that kind of stuff. So we haven't really gotten to see Christian Hackenberg practice. I know I've talked to some people on the team, and they said, you know, there have been bright spots. Everybody talks about how strong his arm is, but it's still the developmental process. I mean, I think he's just – 
he's still not ready to play, you know, and that's the big thing is that when the Jets drafted this guy, and one of the reasons why a lot of people said he should be a fourth round pick, he should be a fifth round pick is because he was going to take two, maybe three years to get up to speed and be able to play an NFL game. And, you know, you don't take guys like that in the second round, which is why there's this big criticism of him. If, you know, Hackenberg was a fourth or a fifth round pick, nobody's talking about him like this. The reason that all this criticism is on him is because Mike McCagnon jumped and got him in the second round for, I don't, I, honestly, I have absolutely no idea why he jumped and did that. But, you know, I think the, the question mark now is, will he ever start a game, as you said? And, and there are legitimate concerns on if that is ever going to happen. I mean, if the Jets draft a rookie quarterback here in the first round, whether that's Allen, uh, Rosen, or Darnold, odds are they're going to bring Josh McCown back as the veteran to, to groom those guys. So there you go. There's your starting quarterback is Josh McCown and the number six pick in the NFL draft or if the Jets trade up with the Colts to get that number three pick in the draft, that guy's not going to be the third-string quarterback, which means Christian Hackenberg is probably for another year going to be a third-string quarterback and an active on most game days. So, you know, what are you going to do there? If the Jets, though, go out and sign, say, Kirk Cousins or Teddy Bridgewater, and they say, okay, he's our starting quarterback, Christian Hackenberg has a chance to be the backup, and then who knows, maybe Kirk Cousins suffers a weak injury or Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt, and then Christian Hackenberg's your starting quarterback. So, you know, if the Jets go out here and they take a quarterback in the first round, I think that odds are Christian Hackenberg does not ever play a game for the New York Jets. If they do go out there and get Kirk Cousins or something like that, there's a chance that he does just you know, because of injury. But, look, the pick's not looking great for the Jets, and really the only thing that's going to save McCagnon's, you know, massive criticism from McCagnon for drafting that is if he finds a way to get – or drafting Hackenberg is if he finds a way to get a quarterback this year. Obviously, quarterback is going to be the most important position to be filled this offseason, although the Jets will have the cap flexibility to fill a lot of their other holes at different positions. If you had to guess today, where do you think the Jets go to fix quarterback? Is it staying at six and taking who falls to them? Is it trading up to get a guy like Rosen or Darnold? Or is it making a super aggressive push to sign Kirk Cousins? And then outside of that quarterback move, is there any other names or positions that you think will be a high priority in free agency in March? Yeah, I think that you can kind of go one. If I was the general manager, this is just my opinion. I'd probably go out there and I'd, I'd give the money to Kirk Cousins just because you can give, I mean, like this is a hypothetical contract, but if you were to even give Kirk Cousins a 30, a, a contract that is structured in a way that has a $30 million cap hit in 2018, that's still going to leave the Jets with $70 million in salary cap space which would be the fourth most in the NFL. So, I mean, they have this financial flexibility to go out there and sign Kirk Cousins and then also retain their own guys and then also go and sign, uh, you know, a couple other big-name free agents, whether that's Tremaine Johnson or Demarcus Lawrence or uh, Ziggy Anza, the guy for the Cowboys. I mean, that's, that just kind of puts into perspective how much salary cap space they have. But, you know, I, if, look, if it was me, I'd go get Kirk Cousins because aside from that, you have the financial flexibility to go find some other guys, but then that would also allow you to round out the roster with that number six pick in the draft and those two second round picks. Because if the Jets do go and decide to trade or do decide to go in the NFL draft for a quarterback, I think they're probably going to have to trade up because look, number one and two are going to be Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen most likely. I mean, that that's probably going to happen. I know there's some rumors out there that Josh Allen could be the number one pick for the Browns. I, I really have a hard time seeing that happen. It's probably going to be Rosen or it's probably going to be Darnold. I'd probably bet some serious money that that's going to be the case. But, you know, if, if that happens and, and that figures happen one and two, the Jets are now kind of playing a, a, a gambling game on, on if uh, who's, you know, who's going to be there at six. And because, you know, look, you've got 
two teams then at number three and number four in the Colts and then Browns again, who could look to trade those picks and trade back and get some extra picks to round out their rosters. We got the Broncos who need a quarterback sitting at five. So I mean, you've got a chance that maybe one or two teams jump the Jets to take quarterbacks. And then suddenly you're not looking at Josh Allen at number six and possibly not even Baker Mayfield. You could be getting stuck with the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the draft or someone you don't really love. So if the Jets do decide they want to trade up or if the Jets do decide they want to draft a quarterback, they're probably going to have to trade up to go get somebody. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think that if, if you're looking for the idea of where the Jets are going to go, I think odds are in 2018 you're going to have a, a duo of Josh McCown as your veteran and then somebody that they draft here. And I think they'll probably trade up maybe to three, maybe to four to get that guy and make sure that the Broncos don't steal him or a team like the Bills, Cardinals, or anyone else doesn't steal him from further behind. And it wouldn't surprise me if Josh Allen is the guy the Jets go up there and get because you know from everything we've heard thus far, the Jets are seem like they're pretty high on him. They've done their homework on him, and they like. I think they might like the idea that that with Jeremy Bates, with John Morton, and with uh, Josh McCown, they can turn Josh Allen into a pretty good player. I'm shuddering at the thought, but we'll see. You never know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Look, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's so much time to go here, man. I mean, look how many how many times do we see guys stock rise and fall? I mean, a perfect example is Deshaun Watson last year went from the consensus number one pick to a guy that, man, is he going to slide to the second round to the Texans trading up and getting him number 12. So all of this can change. Baker Mayfield can tear it up at the senior bowl combine pro day, and suddenly he's considered the number three quarterback behind Rosen and Darnold. Or maybe Lamar Jackson doesn't, and every, everything changes. So so much can change right now. You know, Josh Allen's the number three guy at this moment, but I, look, it would not surprise me at all if that completely changes uh, within the next two months or so. All right, one more question before we let you go. Do you think if the Jets do not make the playoffs next year, and let's say they are 500 or worse, do you think that Chris Johnson, Woody Johnson, whoever ultimately actually is making the final decision, do move on from Mike McCadden and Todd Bowles? And do you think that these two guys are joined at the hip and that if they fire one, they're ultimately going to fire both? I think if they're – seven and nine or better both those guys are coming back i think if, if they get this team to seven and nine eight and eight with it with josh mccown and or a young rookie quarterback in the first round i think both those guys will be coming back because that's kind of the no playoff mandate that christopher johnson talks about is if the jets i mean if, you, if you're starting josh mccown or rookie quarterback it's kind of tough to say you have to make the playoffs this year if the rookie court i mean how many rookie quarterbacks do that i mean you've had a couple and what was it joe flacco and matt ryan did and probably you know Dak prescott last year but it's very rare for a rookie quarterback to go out there and make the playoffs his first year. So if they can get to seven and nine, eight and eight with a rookie quarterback and Josh McCown, I think you'll bring you'll see both those guys coming back with or without a rookie quarterback. If they're four and twelve, five and eleven again, I think even six and ten, you're probably going to see some changes. And maybe McCagden can survive it if Jamal Adams keeps taking a step forward and the rookie quarterback that he drafts shows some promise. But Todd Bowles probably won't survive a, uh, a, a another five and eleven, six and ten, four and twelve years. I just don't see that happening. So they're joined at the hip in some capacity. You know, if again, if this is a two and fourteen team, they're absolutely making wholesale changes. Everyone's gone. But uh, it, I think that McCagnan maybe has a little bit of a longer leash because you have to grade them differently. Because McCagnan's building this team for the future when you can you can judge Todd Bowles kind of on the present. You know what I mean? Like you can you can look at how he's doing as a coach right now and say okay, you know what, I think this is a guy that can get us to a Super Bowl. You know, I've seen enough with what he does in game management and, and the fight that the players are giving him that I think this can be our guy when Mike McCagney, you kind of need a little bit longer. You know, you've got to see what the rookie quarterback looks like as a rookie and then decide, well, you know, he showed some things. Maybe he can be a franchise guy. You have to see 
what Jamal Adams and Marcus May develop into, you know, the, the Chad Antonar, Darius Stewart, and, and Leonard Williams, Darren Lee, and Jordan Jenkins. I mean, you've got to see these guys play for a couple of years. So I think that I don't believe they're tied at the hip, and I think that both of those guys will absolutely – but I do think that both those guys will absolutely be back if this is a 7-8 win Jets team or better next year, where I see the changes – or if they, uh, they're 5-11 and 11 again, I think Todd Bowles won't survive that. And Mike McCagney could, depending on how these young guys look. All right, Connor, thank you for your time today. Everyone, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. He is the Jets beat writer for NJ Advanced Media, Star Ledger and NJ.com. Um, thanks again, and we'll uh, be back next week. Yeah, man, no problem. Thank you for having me on.